0: And we're going to be getting into Ephesians chapter 4 after we're done here in Acts 14. Uh, but before we get started, I wanted to make mention, making the first visit here today is Aria Jubilee. I got that right, correct? Yes. December 23rd, correct? This is all from memory. Aria Jubilee. And she was 8 pounds, 6 ounces, right? Three. I just guessed on the last one. I had, I had no idea. I knew I would get within a couple pounds. I knew that. So... <laughs> So, December 23rd, we you get a chance to go over uh, after church, get a chance to pray over, I love over, a little Aria Jubilee over there, born December 23rd. So, hey, let's pray and let's get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. We are thankful for this time. You teach, we listen, and let us, Lord, to really apply it, not just talk about it, mark it, underline it, but apply it in all we do and say in your name. Amen. This is an interesting passage here this morning. Because what we're going to do is it's all about how the church is supposed to be run. And I think this is good to stop and do this. And God worked out in his perfect timing because of a couple other things going on. When we started our study in Acts, and I can't remember it was, but it was months ago, we said the church is praying about three things. We asked you guys to pray along with us. Uh, The first thing that we were praying about was possibly adding on. That's something we've been praying about. That's something we've been talking about. We want God's perfect plan for that. If he says yes, then we're going to be obedient and do it. If he says no, we don't want to. We want his perfect plan, so we'd appreciate prayer for that. There's some needs that we have physically as a church body, and we want to make sure those needs are met, but at the same time, we want to make sure it's his will. So please continue to keep that in prayer. You know, another thing that we asked you to pray about was Signet. Uh, this is something that's been on our heart. There's been a, a study going on over in Signet a couple of times a year for the last uh, few years. And starting this coming Tuesday, where's Debbie at? Debbie's right there. It's going to be over at Debbie's house. You've got to wave, Debbie, so people know who you are. There you go. That's Debbie. It's over at Debbie's house over in Signet, And we're starting Tuesday, right? Not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, the 23rd. And we decided we're going to prayerfully just keep the study going. Uh, there's a group of people over there that really want that type of uh, Bible teaching, believing church, and that's something that we want to offer. It's something we've been planting seeds over there for a few years. Ray and Debbie are gracious enough to have this vision open up their house. So continue to keep that in prayer. If you don't know where Signet is, you can get a map out and you can take a look. Um, keep that in prayer. Third thing is uh, about Richard. You know we mentioned here last year Richard is retiring at the end of May. And so we've been praying about what does that look like. Do we hire somebody to replace Richard? Do we stop and say, no, we're going to try to take what it says here and then have the body use the gifts that God has given them and see if we can go with just one pastor on staff. That's something we've been praying about. And we get to do a little bit of a dry run here. For some of you that don't know, next week Richard is having his hip replaced. So Richard is going to be out of commission here for a few weeks. And so it's kind of a little bit of a dry run just to say, okay, what does this look like? So Richard's going to be recovering with that. And so as a church, you know, if you're in the hospital or a surgery, there may be somebody else that pops in to visit other than Richard or me. Um, people praying and ministering, and this is the way the body of Christ is supposed to be. As we've said many times out here, if you are hurting, what you want is you want somebody that has the gift of encouragement. You want somebody that has the gift of mercy. And there's people out here at church that have that, and we want to use those gifts and utilize that. So this works out well to go through this. And it also works out well, too, because I got some contacts this week from Tony. And and Tony was saying, hey, make sure you mention that we need help at the 830 service. We have a Sunday school class at the 830 service. For those that don't know that, some of you come, some of you don't come to that. And we're trying to get a three-teacher rotation going. we got two teachers. It would be nice to get one more teacher where you could teach a month, have a couple months off, etc. And then also specifically here at the 10 o'clock service, we need help with the three-year-olds specifically. There's other needs, and we wanted people to pray about it. This is the beauty of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. Because if all these things would have popped up, I would have said, well, I guess I have to teach on serving today. And it would seem forced. The Lord in his infinite wisdom already had us right here in Acts 14. Good chance to remind you about some of the vision for the church. I tell you, a verse that we pray a lot out here as a board is where there's no vision the people perish. We want to have a vision for what the Lord is calling us to do and then be obedient to it. Be obedient to that. So... Keep those things in prayer. Let the Lord move, stir your heart, if it's of the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to see about a church moving and a church working. So with that being said, Acts 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city... And made many disciples They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Poseidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now... When they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now we backtracked a little bit. We covered verses 21 and 22 next week, so please, last week, excuse me, please don't think I'm skipping that great verse in 22 If we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. But we covered that last week. The reason I backtracked a couple of verses is because I want to set the tone of verse 21. When they had preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples... Made many disciples. See, guys, that's the goal. we got to remember, the goal is not to get your name out. The goal is not to get the teachings out. The goal is not to get the church's name out. The goal is to make disciples. And when we have that mindset, it completely changes what we do as a body of believers and as individuals. It, everything is about eternity. Let's just remind ourselves what Jesus said in Matthew 28. You need, don't need to turn there. But go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. That's what we're called to do, is to go make disciples, teach the disciples, baptize them, and then do the whole process again. And that's what you see happening here in the book of Acts, verse 21. They go and they made many disciples. And that's the same goal that we're supposed to still have today. Make disciples, teach them, baptize them, and do it again. Now, we know this. The problem is, do we make this a priority? See, here's the thing that I run into. And I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I know a lot of people that I believe are saved. They love the Lord. They're good people. They're they're trying to live a pure life. Trying to be pure in an impure world. They're trying to really be good parents, good husbands, wives, neighbors, etc. They're trying to do good things for the Lord. But the concept of making disciples, teaching disciples, baptizing disciples... That's not on their radar. Because what we have done is almost taken Christianity to being this idea of just be a really good person that loves the Lord. And I want you to be a good person that loves the Lord. That's out there glorifying God by making disciples, teaching disciples, baptizing them, and then doing it again. Because that's what the Lord has asked us to do. And I do believe that a lot of these Christians that are trying to live pure good lives, they still feel a sense of emptiness. And I still think that they feel that there's more. And sometimes there's a frustration in their lives because they're doing everything right. But they feel like, isn't there more? Yes, there is more. Making disciples, teaching disciples, baptizing them, and doing it again. And when you get that in your life, all of a sudden you realize that's the key thing. I read this great book on marriage the last couple of years with Dawn. And one of the key points in it that really changed the way I look at marriage was this. The purpose of marriage is not for me to fulfill Dawn's needs and wants or for Dawn to fulfill my needs and wants. The purpose of marriage is God brought together two born-again believers to impact eternity through Jesus Christ. And when you get that mindset of eternity, all of a sudden marriage is not, you left your socks on the floor, I keep telling you not to. Marriage is not, you know what, you don't listen to me like you used to. No, marriage is how can we work together, united together to see the gospel spread. And when you have an eternal focus, all of a sudden the things of this world really don't seem to matter. When I used to do marriage counseling, years ago, people would come in I'd make a list. Okay, what are you upset about? What are you upset about? Okay, what can we do? Can we work this out? Hey, try to read more in the Bible. Try to pray more together. And let's try to be nicer to each other. And now it's like, guys, if you're two born-again believers, if you get your focus on eternity, all of a sudden the things of this world do grow strangely dim. And it just doesn't really matter because we have an eternal focus. And the same thing as an individual. You may be going to work today or tomorrow trying to be the best employee that you can. And you may go and do a great job. Amen. That is biblical. Work as if working for the Lord, not for man. But there's another step of saying, make disciples. Teach them. Baptize them. A few years ago, we started changing how we do baptisms out here, and we have started saying, hey, if somebody has played a role in your life spiritually and you would like them to help baptize you, we would love to see that. Maybe somebody led you to the Lord, discipled you, etc. And so we've had people say, hey, I'd really like so-and-so to baptize me. They were instrumental in my new walk. We've had parents baptize kids, etc. And there was an individual a few years ago out here that had the opportunity, the blessing of leading someone to Christ, helping disciple them, and then baptize them. And at the end of the baptism, I went over to him. I said, do you realize you just fulfilled the Great Commission? I said, how did that feel? He goes, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I tell you, that's what we want. God is amazing. And when you get that focus of what it's supposed to be, man, all of a sudden, life, I get it now. I'm just, I'm just here for a moment to impact eternity. And I, I don't want to wait till eternity To realize I was supposed to already be focused on eternity on this world I want to be focused on eternity now And so therefore I can live it out as I do this Now the question comes up I get verse 21 I'm supposed to go make disciples But what does that really look like? Well guess what? It describes it for us Look at verse 22 You're supposed to go strengthen them You're supposed to exhort them We can do that can't we? That word for strengthen is an interesting word It literally means to support them It means that they're wobbling They're going to fall over And you go support them. Now, to really do that, it is more than just a casual, hi, hello at church. It is really getting involved in someone's life. And to be honest, we have so many time commitments. We have so much busyness. We hinder ourselves in that area. But when you start really looking at eternity, you start realizing the calendar can really become a lot lot less full. Because I'm here to support fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because I'm here to support them, just as that word says. And I'm also here to exhort them. I'm here to encourage them. Because people are going through difficult times. And they need prayer. They need support. They need encouragement. And that's what we want to do, is to support them. We want to encourage them. But that means we need to get to know them. That means we need to step out of our comfort zones. That means we need to look past the here and now and look towards eternity. Where we'll find real fulfillment in what we do and say. Can you go with me real quick to uh, Ephesians 4, please? Ephesians 4. This is where we have to stop and really stop and talk about what is the purpose of why we're here this morning. Ephesians 4. They made disciples, they supported them, they encouraged them. What does Ephesians 4 say about this? Take a look at verse 11 of Ephesians 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Stop right there. What is the purpose of church? purpose of church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's why we're here. That word for equip, some of your translations may say perfect, meaning that we're supposed to help each other become all that we can be in the Lord. Literally means to prepare. Now, the problem is a lot of churches misunderstand what the purpose of churches. They look at the purpose of churches to what? To serve. And we need to understand we are here to serve. We're not here to be served. But how are we supposed to serve? It's not our goal to get the most amazing coffee you've ever had. It's not. It's not our goal to get the most amazing seats and the most amazing decor. It's not our goal to have the most amazing PowerPoint and slides and fun and lights. No, that's not our goal. Our goal is to equip you. I look at it as almost a staff meeting. You got up on a Sunday morning that's very cold. You decided to come out. Good. That means you have a heart that you want to grow and go deeper in the Lord. Then let's equip you to do this. Let's prepare you to do this. Let's not get you here and just say, oh, I hope you had a fun time. I want you to be equipped. And as you're equipped, you're going to go out now and then do what verse 12 says. You are now going to go to work of the ministry. Remember the word ministry just means to serve. We're all in the ministry. And when we do that, when we minister, when we serve, we find a deeper fulfillment in life because it's not about us. Did not Jesus say numerous times in the Gospels, if you really want to live, you got to die first? Paul repeated this in Galatians, die again, die to who I am, live for him, and then I find fulfillment. Yes, go do a great job at work, let me repeat that point. But your job is not your fulfillment. Raise godly kids for the Lord, amen, but your kids are not your fulfillment. Jesus Christ is your fulfillment. Because eventually you're not going to have that job. You're not going to have kids at home. What is it going to fulfill you then? Jesus Christ. If we get that mindset now, we let that filter down to what we do at work. We let that filter down to our kids. And we move past the idea of I just want to be a good person that loves the Lord. No, I want to be crazy for Christ that impacts eternity. And it's my job as a pastor to equip you to do this to give you the tools that you need to go out there and do the work of the ministry so therefore the body of Christ can be edified, encouraged, uplifted. That's what we want. So the purpose of church when you come is I hope you come with a Bible, with a notebook, with a pen, and you say, this is a meeting that I want to take notes with. I want to mark what the Lord's calling me to do. I want to listen. I want to respond. I want to pray over those opportunities to serve. I want to look around for other people I can go represent Jesus Christ to in this building. And I want to be equipped and edify people. And I want to repeat this again and again and again. Because if you're coming to church just to eat, I'm glad you're here. But you're coming to be fed to have the energy through the Spirit to go out and do other things for the Lord. A lot of churches have a lot of fat sheep that don't go do anything. That's not us. Let's get equipped to go do it. Remember, the role of the pastor is to equip, to not whip. It is not my job to go out there and force you to do this. It is my job to encourage you to do this. Verse 13: Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want you to be perfect in the Lord. That word does not mean sinless, it means complete. And I want you to have the measure of the stature of fullness. I want you to grow. You know, we're in a season of kids at home, and we mark their heights. You know what I'm talking about. And we go back six months later and check their height again. It's neat to see them grow. What would happen if we had that same mindset in the body of Christ, I want to see you grow? Problem is this. I know a lot of Christians that want to be on a bottle for the rest of their lives. They don't want to grow. They are perfectly content being a baby Christian with a bottle. Paul said himself, he says, many of you should become teachers by this point. He goes, but you're not. You want to stay on the bottle. And I look at verse 13, and it's my job as a pastor to say, I want you to grow in the Lord. Okay, we've been through this problem a few times over the last few years. Can we we grow past this now? Can we let go of the blanket? Can we let go of the bottle? Can we get some more solid food? Can we step out in faith? Can we go out of our comfort zone? I want to encourage you to do that. But the truth is, some Christians are perfectly content with a bottle. And they're happy to stay that way until Jesus Christ returns. And you know what? I'm glad you're saved. But there's more for you. And I want you to have more. Verse 13, I want you to grow to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can you imagine if as a group of believers we said, we want everything God has in store for us, rather than reaching a point of complacency and contentment and just camping out until the return of Christ? Let's let go of the bottle. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. We're growing, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Let's not be kids anymore. Let's grow. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I acted like a child. I talked like a child. He goes, but then I became a man. And as a believer, there is a time of childlike growth. I get that. There's a time of learning the simplicity of the faith and learning that. But then we grow. We grow. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up to all things and to him who is the head Christ. Once again, in love, we speak truth. We grow. And look at verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love every part does its share causing growth the body works together it says in the book of isaiah woe to him who warms himself by the fire alone there's a danger in being the island christian the solo christian and having your own little campfire God has designed us to be a group animal. We are sheep. We work together. And that's what we're supposed to do. And I look at verse 16, by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. See, it'd be easy to take this message and turn it into, where are you going to serve today? That's between you and the Lord. The Lord will lead that on his own time. What I want to ask you is this. Are you to the fullness of the stature of Christ Jesus? Because if not, that means there's areas of growth in your life. Are you fully serving the body of Christ the way you could? If not, there's areas of growth. And it's my job as a pastor to equip you to help you to do this. And that's what I want to do. I want to give you the tools and the options to do it so that way you are here to serve and not to be served. problem is everybody wants to be served. We want to go and have everybody wait on us and take care of us. And Christianity is, no, get on your hands and feet and wash someone's feet. We're here to serve, and we're here to equip you to do that. So what does this look like? Can you go with me now to Second um, Peter real quick? Head to the right a few books. Second Peter. Second Peter has a very famous verse that we use for our calling, and we're going to hit this. But then we're going to get into practical, what does it look like? Because it's easy to have these messages of, hey, you have a gift, you have a calling, go serve, go make disciples. Okay, but what does that really look like? Second Peter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. I don't know about you, I don't want to stumble. I'm tired of stumbling. I, I've been saved now for almost 25 years. I still stumble. Paul says he stumbled every day. That's really encouraging, Paul. Thanks a lot. But That's what he said. He stumbled every day. But I look at this, and I realize the more diligent I am to know my calling and my election, because I have been chosen by God, I stumble less because I have a clear path of what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel so bad for these believers that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they're still trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. God says you have a calling, you have election, and you can know this, you can be sure of it. And when you're sure of it, it gives you a purpose and a point in life. Now, let's not overcomplicate the calling. If you're here today and you're married, well, then be the best spouse you can be in the Lord, men, love your wife as Christ, love the church. Wives, respect, honor, submit. If you have kids at home, raise disciples. You're making disciples right there at home. But be careful. Sometimes as Christians, we worship at the altar of family. We worship at the altar of our marriage and our kids, and we kind of close our doors to the outside world. And what I've realized in my marriage and my kids, we are so much more fruitful when we say we are a unit that's out there to serve the Lord together. And we're going to go out there and impact eternity together, not just hole up in the fort and wait for the return of Jesus Christ. What happens with that? Jump back to verse eight, same chapter. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know a lot of believers that are barren and unfruitful. That word for barren literally means useless. It doesn't mean they don't love the Lord. They're just useless. Yeah, I love you, Jesus, and I'm looking forward to eternity with you in heaven, and I'm looking forward to the rapture, but I'm really in the middle of something big at home right now. So if you could hold off on the rapture until I could accomplish this, it would make me feel so much better. And what happens is they got the Savior part down, but they don't got the Lord part down. And so there's a barrenness, there's an unfruitful, and they wonder why there's not more. And then when they hear about more, and they hear this depth, they're like, well, I'm saved, I love the Lord, I want to be good, amen. Amen. But there's more. So what does it look like? I can now jump back to 1 Peter 4. Go back one book to your left. Great passage here in verses 7 through 11 of 1 Peter 4. That goes step by step. What does it look like? 1 Peter 4 verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Guys, the world is ending. The rapture is either going to take you or you're going to die. One of the two things are going to happen. Now that you have that information, what are you going to do with it? Do we really believe that the end of all things is at hand? Verse 7. I mean, if if we really believe that, that changes what you do and what you live and what you act. That changes everything. Because if I really do believe the world is ending, then I don't really care what that guy at work said about me. I don't really care what my wife said about me. I really don't care about this or that. And it's not that I don't care, it's just... Guys, the end of the world is happening. There's a seriousness to this. And I want us to have fun at church. I want us to enjoy coming together. But there's also seriousness of what we do. And I think sometimes we don't realize the seriousness of it. I love history. I love reading about history. And I read a book one time about D-Day. And a lot of the guys that were landing on D-Day you know, we were not battle veterans by any means. This was the first time they'd seen combat, and some of them did not know what they were getting into. And the one guy, I think I've shared this story with you before, he said, hey, when I get off the landing boat, can you go out and first, take my camera, and take a picture of me coming off the boat onto the beach? And the guy said, sure, I'll do that. So they landed on the beaches of D-Day. The first guy ran out, turned around, got the camera out to take a picture of him, and he got immediately killed. And then the guy that survived that said, Will you take the picture? Because I realized right then and there what I'm in. But he didn't realize it until it started. And I want you guys to realize now the seriousness of what you are in. You are an eternal being that just happens to be on this earth for a few years. When you look at it from that perspective, I can let a lot of this go because the end of all things is at hand. So therefore, I should be serious about what I'm doing, watchful, and I should be in prayer. Prayer, real prayer. Not the, oh, Lord, just keep me safe as I go to and from work today and just uh, help everybody be healthy and thank you, amen. That's treating him like a genie in a bottle. It's treating him like Santa Claus. It's treating him like a wish list. I'm talking real communication with the Lord, where the Bible says you never stop praying. There's a constant open dialogue with him, seeking his will, his vision, encouragement, etc. If you're here today and you're going through physical problems, emotional problems, spiritual problems, can you imagine how much your world would be different if you took verse 7 and applied it? The end of all things is at hand. So yes, this physical malady is awful right now, but i got a new body waiting for me in heaven. This emotional, spiritual darkness I'm in right now is awful, but I'm going to pray myself through this. I'm going to pray scriptures, I'm going to worship, I'm going to keep a focus on the Lord, and when I get my mind on eternity, I don't really focus on this here and now. It amazes me over the years when I run into people going through difficult physical situations. Some of them are in awful situations, and when you go to the hospital to visit them, the only thing they want to talk about is how good God is. What a blessing. And then you go into the other rooms and the only person who wants to talk about is how awful their life is. And you're constantly trying to tell them, your God is good. Your God is big. Your God loves you. They use this as a witnessing tool. Maybe for a small moment they get it, but then they go right back to their pity party. And as we said last week, do you want the comfort of Christ or the pity of people? If you want the pity of people, you'll get it. But don't you want the comfort of Christ? So now we got prayer down, being serious. Verse 8, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. See, look how we're building here. You start with the seriousness. You start with prayer. And next thing you know, you're out there loving people. And not, the world doesn't get love. Let them see Jesus and how you love. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable now. I've got the end of the world. i got the seriousness. i got prayer. i got love. And now I'm going to be hospitable. Please note what the definition of hospitable is. Hospitable literally means love to strangers. A lot of times as as a church, we confuse fellowship and hospitality. Fellowship is you are my brothers and sisters in the Lord and I want to spend time with you and it is vital, it is important, and it's a blessing. Fellowship is not the same as hospitality. Hospitality is there's a new guy at work, I never met him, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and go get to know him. Hospitality is there's a new person at church Or a person I see always by themselves And I'm going to say hey would you like to come over And get to know each other a little bit more Hospitality is taking you out of your comfort zone And loving strangers Now we're usually good at fellowship Because we like to laugh and joke with people we know But what about hospitality And what about without grumbling Now if you just want to mark that verse off You can just pretend it's not there If you're going to do that, you've got to do Philippians 2.14 as well, that says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. it's just absolutely amazing to me, as believers, we just ignore those verses. If Jesus has told me to do all things without grumbling and complaining, and I grumble and complain, do you realize what I just did? I sinned. Well, it's not a sin. I'm just being honest. Well, I'm just being honest too. It's a sin. So therefore, it's wrong. Seriously, it amazes me that as believers that have been saved and born again in Jesus Christ, that have eternity waiting for us, how many of us are really just people you don't want to be around. They just bring you down. As we've joked out here before, some people are a blessing when they go, and some people are a blessing when they come. Some people are blessing when they leave. I have a pastor friend that calls them blessed subtractions. He called me one time and said, hey, that person I asked you to pray about church, yeah. He goes, guess what, they left, amen. And he looked at it as a blessed subtraction. I'm just telling you right here, right now. God has asked you to do all things without grumbling and complaining. And there's not an exemption to this. And you may say, physical, emotional, spiritual, I get it. But guess what, Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Can you imagine if we allow the grumbling and complaining to get the best of us? Can you imagine Jesus on the cross, grumbling and complaining? Can you imagine, as a pastor, me coming in on a Sunday morning, saying, guys, I really don't want to be here. I really don't. I mean, let's just get through this. Let's just get through it. I didn't even prepare anything. I don't know. Just Ephesians. Just Ephesians. No! There's a joy and an excitement in what the Lord is doing, and so why do we not have that? And I think the reason we don't have that is because we're not eternally minded. We're focused on this earth. And when you're focused on this earth, you're going to constantly grumble and complain. Because this world is grumbling and complaining. It is. And so therefore, I look past this earth towards eternity. And so I go back to verse 7. I'm watchful, I'm serious, I'm praying. Verse 8, I'm loving. Verse 9, I'm hospitable. I'm putting it into action. I'm not grumbling. And now, verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, you have a gift, use it. Now we start to minister, which means we serve and we're all called to serve. And please note, it is a gift. It's a steward. What's a steward? You are in charge of something that's not yours. God has given us a gift, which literally means grace. And it's that idea of God has given you an element of the spirit of grace there that you get to go now use that gift to go represent Jesus Christ. It is not about going to work. It's about representing Jesus. It's not about just doing more laundry and taking care of the house. It's about representing Jesus. Everything Becomes eternally focused. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. Aren't you thankful that God supplies the ability and not you? That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Can you imagine? In all things God may be glorified. It goes back to our first point. It's not about the man. It's not about the ministry. It's not about the church. It's about making disciples and seeing Jesus Christ glorified in all things. And when you get that mindset, it changes how you live. It changes how you work. It changes everything. Because you have a purpose beyond the here and now. And I see so many people that are born again and saved, but they're still just living in this world. What would happen if we would move past this mindset? It means dying to ourselves. It means dying to who I am. And as mentioned earlier in the message, Jesus mentioned that repeatedly. Paul mentioned that repeatedly. Letting go of who I am and focusing on Him. Jump back now to Acts 14, please. So, we're called to go make disciples. We're called to strengthen them. We're called to encourage them. You know, we read in Peter... That you have a calling and election, make it sure, don't be barren, don't be unfruitful. Then we read in uh, 1 Peter that we're supposed to be people of watchfulness, seriousness, prayer, love, hospitality, no grumbling, no complaining, serving, glorifying God. Now we're going to get into a little bit of church leadership, verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There's also church leadership that is called. We talked about your role, but there's also another role of church leadership. Now, before you think you don't have a point in this, take a look at verse 23. They prayed and fasted. You have a role to pray and fast for us, please. That's part of your job. Let's talk about what church leadership is supposed to look like. Can you go with me to Titus now? Titus is a wonderful book. If you've ever prayed about getting involved in ministry, if you ever feel the Lord may have more for you in that area, three chapters. I encourage you to read it and reread it and reread it again. It's a wonderful book about what ministry is supposed to be and what this looks like. So we talked about your role. Let's talk about the role of leadership. Titus 1, verse 5. For this reason, I left you in Crete. That you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Things are lacking in churches. Things are lacking in this church. That word for lacking and set in order, those are medical terms. That literally means a dislocated arm. All the parts are there. just needs to be put back in place. You know, the gifts are available. The Holy Spirit's here. They just need to be used. You know, even in your life. The Holy Spirit lives inside. If you are here this morning, you were born again and saved. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are empowered, you are gifted, He is there. You just need to get it in order. So things need to be put in order. So what does it look like to put things in order? Well, let's go through the list here. What are the elders supposed to do, the leadership supposed to do? Verse 10, if there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. That's a fun job. Leadership is supposed to stop mouths. We're supposed to stop people and remind them, listen, what you're saying is not good nor glorifying to the Lord. This is not bringing anybody into the kingdom. We need to be done with this now. We need to stop and say that is not proper doctrine. That needs to be done. That's not a real fun thing to do. Okay, well, what about the next one? Verse 13. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. Well, that's a lot of fun, too, to rebuke people. But listen, if it's my job to equip the saints, it's my job to sometimes stop mouths and rebuke. I don't enjoy it. I don't really like doing it, but that's about what needs to be done. And I hope it would happen the same if you saw me doing something unbiblical or something that's not glorified Jesus Christ, that you would hopefully come and try to do the same thing. But you need that leadership to do those type of things. Okay, what else are we supposed to do? Verse 1, chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. I hope that's what we're doing right now, is giving you God's word. Because listen, it's God's word that's going to change things. It's God's word that's going to change your life. And I want you to memorize it. I want you to mark it. I want you to underline it. I want you to do all those things, but I really just want you to live it. I can't remember if I shared it at the 830 or at the 10 o'clock, so if I've already shared it this morning, forgive me, but that one marriage book I was telling you about, the the pastor said this. He He goes, what marriage is... What Most of the time, what people think marriages need is they need more date nights, more romantic walks on the beach, etc. Because they don't need that. They need more time in the Word with each other. They need more time growing deeper in the Lord, praying together, ministering together. See, so often we look at, oh, it's falling apart. Spend more time. Yes, spend more time in the Lord. Speak sound doctrine. There's many churches that are very, very busy doing many, many things. But the focus is supposed to be sound doctrine. So that's why we do this. Once again, the beauty of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is... Right here, we get to talk about serving. With Richard having a hip replacement surgery coming up. With Tony saying, hey, could you announce? Hey, it fits right into the message. That's the beauty of it. Okay, what else are we supposed to be doing then? Silencing mouths, rebuking, sound doctrine. What about verse 6? Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded and courage. We're supposed to set the tone of encouragement, praying with people, meeting with people, being involved with them, discipling them, encouraging them. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I think verse 15 sums it up nicely. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. That's what we're supposed to do. Speak truth, encourage, rebuke if needed, and let no one despise you. Now, that's the goal of church leadership. And as it says there in... um, Back in Acts 14, fasting and praying for him, I'd appreciate if you would do that. Pray for us to have a vision as a church, know what to do. Pray for us to have a vision as an individual, for I know what the Lord wants me and my family to do. Pray for the Lord to raise up the people. Pray for the Lord to do this. Fast and pray over this. I would really encourage you to do that. But you do have one role in church leadership. Can you go with me to Hebrews 13, please? Hebrews 13. Just jump to the right a few books. This verse should be marked, underlined, memorized in the Greek, and you should put it on every one of your Christmas cards next year. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I have a spiritual accountability to you guys. And when I die and stand before the Lord, I have to give an account for your souls. Did I preach truth? Did I live truth? Did I represent truth? I have that spiritual accountability. That's why the book of James says, Let not many of you become teachers, for you will receive a stricter judgment. So I need to live it, not just talk about it. Your role, though, is to say, hey... Maybe I should listen to this guy. Not in some type of cultish thing. Check out everything I say with the scriptures. But to realize that there's hopefully love being presented here, that I care for your souls. And I want what's best for you. So therefore, if I want what's best for you, I am going to encourage you. I am going to love you. I am going to rebuke. I am also going to say, let's let go of the bottle. Let's go deeper. Hey, you've been coming out here for years. Let not... You should be a teacher by now, according to what Paul said. There should be some growth, the fullness of the stature of Christ. Because I want more for you, just like I hope you want more for me. I have to give an account. And let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Listen, the nicer you are to me, the nicer I am to you. That's what I'm saying. If you're mean to me, by golly, you don't want to be with me on a Sunday morning. See? So when you bring joy to me, I can bring joy to you. It's the way it's supposed to work. I hear these reports of pastors that dread their body. Of Christ. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm so thankful I have people that, that we love and that we love being around. Now, I have run into, in my 20 years of doing this, there are some people that want to bring grief. I don't know what they like, it, like about it, but they get their kicks off that. They really do. And what happens is, no, we're supposed to bring joy to each other in Christ, in the Lord, because we want to encourage one another and help one another. So your role is to pray, to fast, and to also let's work together as a team. Because if the goal is growth, then that's what we want. We want to grow together as a body of Christ to impact eternity. Once again, we're not trying to promote the church. We're not trying to promote a man or promote a teaching. We're trying to promote Jesus Christ. You gave up time to come out here on a Sunday morning. This is a staff meeting for us to say, what can we do to help each other? Because the purpose is to serve and not be served. So let's go out there and do this and always say and do. Can you jump back with me to Acts 14 now to help finish this up? So you see them appointing elders, verse 23, commending them, committing them to the Lord with fasting and prayer. Then you see in verses 24 and 25, Paul coming back to Antioch. If you look in the back of your Bibles, you probably have a map that says Paul's first missionary journey. And you can see that he started in Antioch and he ended up in Antioch. But look at verse 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, once again, there's a oneness, a fellowship, an encouragement. Together, they reported all that God had done with them and all that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So now we get a chance to report, look at what God's doing. And What a blessing that is, to come together and hear these praise reports of what the Lord was doing. I had somebody at the 830 come up to me and said, hey, you're not going to believe this. And it was one of those times where you really couldn't believe it. It's like, wow. Wow. The Lord is still just moving mountains. It's just amazing to see what God is doing. And what a blessing it is in verse 27 to see the body of Christ come together. And what would happen if we would change the way we communicate with each other? I think to what it says in the book of Malachi, where it says the Lord listens in on our conversations. Where we would stop and say, hey, let me tell you what the Lord's doing for me this week. Let me tell you what the Lord did for me last week. Or, you know what? It's a really rough week. And I'm not grumbling and complaining because James said that was a sin. But I'm going to tell you how God is faithful through my difficult, dark times. What would happen if we changed the way we do this and all of a sudden we'd stop and say, Lord, it's all about eternity. So I'd appreciate prayer for those areas that we've talked about. Is the Lord leading us to add on? What does it look like with Richard here? Um, you know, Signet as well, the blessing of that. Please keep those things in prayer. Appreciate prayer for vision. We want to do what the Lord has called us to do as individuals and as a body of Christ. And I tell you this, I want you to serve. Not because we have holes or need areas like that. There always will be areas that need help. There always will be. I want you to serve because I want to see you grow to the fullness of the stature of Christ Jesus. I want you to have everything the Lord has in store. I want you to let go of the blanket. I want you to let go of the bottle. And I want you to grow in the Lord. I'm glad you're here. And if you're here this morning, I'm glad you're saved. But I want us to move and grow and go deeper. And what a blessing that will be for all of us. The joy of serving together in the Lord. Worship team, can come forward here for the final song. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, as we just come to you now, we're thankful for the opportunity and help us, help us to never... To never, ever forget the blessing we have that we get to meet here to grow and learn together. Lord, I want us to grow in you to the fullness of the stature of Christ Jesus. What does that look like for us as individuals? What does that look like for us as a body? We are thankful for the time to do this. Help us not just to talk about it, but to live it in all we do and say. And if there's someone here today that you're speaking to them, I pray to speak to their heart on what it means to grow deeper in you, Lord, eternally focused minded in all we do and say. We lift this up in your name. Amen.